You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for hanging out. As always, you know I appreciate you. I really, really, truly do. I want to dive right into this episode, but before I do, I have two small bits of housekeeping. One, in a few weeks, I will be headed out to Sweetwater for Gear Fest. They're doing it a little differently this year. They've invited around 20 guitar and music media people out to kind of have these one-on-one experiences with different brands and all that stuff. So there's a bunch of brands displaying, and there's just going to be a bunch of media people running around making content, and I will be one of those people. So please stay tuned to the Tone Mob channels on all channels, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, the Facebook group, and that leads into the next thing. There is now a Discord. There is a Tone Mob Discord. There have been a lot of people asking about it. I put up a poll in the Facebook group, and people said, absolutely make a Discord. So there is now a Tone Mob Discord, and I will be putting the link to that in the show notes. So if you want to join that Discord... You can. It's a lot of buffoonery. We're having a great time with it so far. It's pretty small, but it's uh, it's a proving to be a lot of fun. I finally understand why people love that platform so much. So if you would like to join that, you can do that by checking the link in the show notes. All right, that's it. I want to get right into this episode. It's a really good one. We talk about so many cool things. Let's dive right into this one with my dude, Ryan. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob podcast, the show about guitar stuff occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Wyland, and with me today, I have Ryan O'Connell-Lewis, producer extraordinaire, and a bunch of other stuff that I probably don't know about, and hopefully we're going to find out about. So let's get into it. How you doing, dude? I'm doing great. How about you? You know, it's a, it's a nice day outside, and... Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, basically doing another podcast after this that's not recorded where I just walk around on the phone and talk to all my people that I got to talk to today. So, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the podcast that is life. Yes. Yeah. I spend so much of my time blabbering, just talking into devices, like an insane amount of time just talking into devices and you have you yeah. have an aptitude for it so i'm glad <laughs> that it's what you're spending your time doing <laughs> thank you very much uh well let's dive into you though let's talk about your thing you know you obviously you're a producer you work with lots of different artists and you've done a lot of cool things but let's take us back to the early days when did you start getting into music and how did you end up in this weird position that you find yourself in Oh my God! Okay, so if we go if we go all the way back, um, I was begging my parents for a drum kit when I was ten, and uh, they they caved. My God! I mean, when when I think that like as I as I tell this story, there, there's just going to be a mountain of support that shows up from those two. But um, but yeah. Uh, they let me get this insanely loud drum kit and put it in the house and bang on it all the time. And when you are this thing that I, I, of course, was was too young to know. But uh, when you when you bother to get the drum kit and get it all set up and have that at your house, everybody else just kind of naturally comes to you. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you're the one with the heaviest, biggest instrument. And so, like, as I was meeting people, I would say, like, I play drums and I would meet people who were like, I think I might play guitar. I have one. You know, mm-hmm. I, I make noises on it. Let's do this together. And so they would all bring their stuff at my house to my house and uh, they'd leave it there. So I eventually I, I, fir- the, I first started picking up bass because four strings uh, didn't intimidate me as much as six. And then eventually it was guitar. And then eventually people left keyboards over there and there was a piano uh, in my house and everything. And so it just kind of all grew out of that that drum kit, just starting mm-hmm. to play uh, any instrument that, uh, that that anybody would leave laying around, basically. <laughs> I, I relate very much to the drum kit thing because... Uh, drums were not my first instrument, nor am I any good at them. But there for a little while with my first band, I was like, they were like, you're going to play the drums. And I like bought the drum, old Pearl drum kit from the guitar player and uh, put it in my 
tiny little bedroom. Like I lived in like a, you know, I think it was like a 1200 square foot house. So nothing, nothing too crazy, but I would literally have to like set them up and to play them and then take them all down and slide them kind of under and behind my bed just to have oh room, god you know you know and so every <clears> single <throat> time i was setting up and tearing down and i just have this very really vivid memory of me attempting to play like system of a down songs without really even knowing how to keep a beat and my mom's just in the kitchen and she's just like going about her day and i'm in there not doing anything productive but very loudly and uh somehow she she put up with i wouldn't let my kids do that i don't understand how uh how she gritted through that but i'm glad she did Oh my God! And like you know, the 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 beginning months of a of a burgeoning violinist, you know, like these are horrible <laughs> sounds that you make when you're when you're first learning an instrument. And um, it's uh, you know, kudos kudos to all the parents out there who have been super chill about their kids making awful noises in there. I mean, I was I immediately started playing punk music. So mm-hmm. like 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 I. Uh, it's not just that that they had to put up with the drum kit, but they like loud, shouty, bad music. Uh, mm-hmm. you know? Well, I mean, it was actually it, it was pretty great thinking back to it, but um, but still, they they, they, they they put up yeah. with a lot. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, <laughs> it's it is amazing what when I think back, what my parents tolerated was was very extreme. So it's nice that you you relate. But so you dove right into punk though. So what? were some of those first bands like and what what inspired you what was grabbing your ear um i guess i but before i started playing with with other people uh i i just i do i do remember that uh well green day green day was very important to me on the on the drums at first i would play drums along to green day songs i forget what age i must have been when dookie came out but i was pretty young and i was like that perfect age maybe i was 12 or 13 Mm -hmm. when dookie came out and so that hit me like a ton of bricks so i would play drums along to dookie i learned some of those songs on guitar uh rage against the machine i basically taught myself how to play guitar by learning every every lick eventually once i could play solos every every note but uh but that i learned that first rage against the machine album top to bottom like i would just sit there in my room after school and just play it you know, like it was a set, you know, totally. Uh, uh, and so like, um, very much that sort of got me into, you know, uh, to, to, to riffing, uh, and stuff like that. And then bad religion. I learned every single, there was at one point, if you looked up at my wall in my room, it was just all, I, I would write down the tablature and like the chords for all, for every bad religion song, that I had the patience to do it. And so my wall was just covered with like all of these wow. bad religions. So I just look up at the wall and be like, okay, suffer. Let's go through that one. And like, oh my God. So yeah, it was just, I I just, I couldn't stop playing uh, like um, skate punk, you know, cause it was the nineties. So it was like that, all that epitaph, like that first, that first epitaph punkorama compilation. Uh, it's green, that, that, absolutely leveled me I, I i can say that that's one of those recordings that like completely changed my life yeah so so all all my friends and i you know i got a i got a copy of that i was wearing it thin uh i was showing it to all of my friends and we wanted to play in bands that sounded like rancid and no effects and and stuff like that so so my god we made an effort at it and we were we were real bad <laughs> i relate to that very much that was that was very much our first thing too is it was a lot of that same stuff a lot of no effects a lot of alkaline trio a lot of uh just you know just punk rock in general and i still love all that stuff like not, that really hasn't changed at all like i just put on out outcome the wolves the other day and was like this record jeez like it's so good <laughs> minor so threat good. dude My, minor threat came on oh i was I, I was just sort of listening through a, a playlist that somebody made me a while ago and minor threat came on and i got goosebumps man like mm-hmm. like so this the stuff that was really good about what i grew up on it has totally stayed with me and and some of it's fallen to the wayside like i had a straight edge hardcore uh you know phase mm-hmm. and like there are great bands like refused that i will never stop listening to and there and then there are bands like strife where i'm like i if any of your listeners have ever heard this hardcore this this really bad hard straight edge hardcore band called strife Strife, um, 
It was just totally derivative pablum. And I, I'm so, I, I, li- I listened back to it with a little bit of embarrassment. Like, oh my God, I was into that. I went to their shows and like point, point, you know, was pointing in the air and like <laughs> singing along with all these t- terrible lyrics and like, anyway. But hey, you had fun. So, you know. I had a ton of fun. That scene, <laughs> that scene was nothing, nothing but fun. That was great. I, you know, I'm in the middle of this really great podcast that is way bigger than mine that I'm I'm sure a lot of the listeners listen to called No Dogs in Space. And I'm Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm revisiting uh I, I found myself like remembering because they're in the middle of a replacement series right now. And I forgot how good the replacements are. I feel like an idiot because I was just like I stuff I listened to years ago, you know, and I, I'm like, yeah, they're really good. And then I'm going back now with kind of fresh ears and listening to it as they're talking about them. I'm like this band is awesome. What in, I have so much to go through now, like uh, with their catalog and and some of their contemporaries. I'm just like, wow, this is. There's so much music out there. We're never gonna get through it all, and I feel like that's a good thing. You know, that's there's never no, and discovery. like every time, like one of my favorite feelings that I get watching the movie High Fidelity. I've never I've never read the the book that that was based on, but. Um, one of the biggest feelings I get watching High Fidelity is just like, oh, my God. You know, you're just li- li- listening to this dialogue that's like record store clerks, you know, just like trying to w- basically participating in one-upsmanship. Yep. <laughs> uh, try- trying, to, trying to go more obscure into the crate. Uh, and, and, and like there is just so much music out there. It's insane. And The Replacements are one of those bands, kind of like Big Star, where when you start diving in, you hear the raw ingredients that made all of your other favorite bands yes. sitting right there, like in the in the production and the guitar playing and the songwriting and everything. It's like you can, you can hear where, where, you can hear how much the people that were making the music you grew up on were listening to them. You know, mm-hmm. it's crazy. Yeah. It's it's really really bananas when you start dissecting things and like you know when you when you go back to bands like that and and you hear like wait I thought that riff was a insert band here riff but that's actually must be a replacements riff like because I heard right. like that happened before and they've cited them you know it's a it's a it's a crazy thing I'm trying to remember which band it was that's constantly cited as like it might have been Oh, might have been like one of the first Velvet Underground shows. Probably, I think it was. I think it was one of the first Velvet Underground shows where they said, like, the quote is, like, there was hardly anybody there, but everybody that was there went out and started bands after that. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> like, I'm like, I totally can, I can totally feel that. Like, that's a, that's, everything's kind of derivative in some ways, but that's how you get fresh stuff, right? Yeah. And there, there were just these really potent. I, I think the internet has lessened this to a degree. At least it's made it less about a physical location. But there were just these potent, potent music scenes. Uh, you know, like like the the Manchester scene that that movie Twenty Four Hour Party People, mm-hmm. you know, is do, is is documenting. Like that was a very potent music scene. There was a a point in the late seventies in New York and and in a certain part of London and like Minneapolis, as it turns out. With like, right. the, aren't the, aren't the replacements and like you know Husker Du and Prince and all of this just absolutely incredible music, uh, the time like you know all all of this insane music coming out of this very very potent little music scene uh, in the Upper Midwest that's it's pretty incredible. Yeah, and it's not something that unless you unless you break it down like that when you start listing off the artists that were all kind of happening around the same time, it's like you don't think of Minneapolis. The general public doesn't think of Minneapolis as the having such a potent music scene, but it totally does. It has an ex- extremely, extremely robust like art scene. I've not been there, but from what I understand and from my friends that live there, it's just as as powerful as any of the quote unquote like major music hubs. It's just it's a different. great town, and it just yeah, it curiously has been this like very powerful engine for American musical culture in a, in a crazy way, like. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's weird how life works out. So, where's Where's Failure from? You interviewed Ken Andrews, right? Yes, I did. Uh, failure is from, where are they from now? I can't remember for the life of me. 
Are they were they making those records in in Los Angeles or were I, they in the I, I Midwest be, somewhere? I believe they were in L.A. when they were doing. Oh, that, OK, that OK. Because yeah. like there is this very Midwestern um, a, 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 a guy that I a dear friend of mine that I lived with in Portland for years and years and years. Uh, he's he's way into bands like Shiner mm-hmm. uh, and, and 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 I and I, I guess like he was always talking about you know parts of the country like Kansas City as being like pretty potent hotbeds for for a certain kind of music that he was into but anyway i'm babbling i don't know enough about that <laughs> i don't know enough about anything that's never stopped me from babbling so don't worry about it <laughs> <laughs> okay well yeah. i'm in good company then yeah exactly so we kind of we kind of stopped at when you started playing in punk bands but then you know yeah. how did you how do you end up you know becoming a producer for some pretty um, pretty popular artists, you know? I, I was always, uh, I remember my friend Chad that I played in a punk band called Hassle uh, with. Um, That's a great name. He, <laughs> uh, he, he would always turn to me and be like, can you turn the knobs on my amp? Just sounds better after you've turned the knobs. And that was a little bit of a theme where like, I just really loved dialing it in. I got really good at tuning drums. I got really, I just loved this. Like I would sit there with my practice amp, even at home, this crate, you know, solid state practice amp that I had and um, just fiddle with the knobs endlessly and be so taken in by the difference in timbre, you know, that I could, and distortion, and and then with the tone knob on my guitar, and I don't know. Sa- sound was always very fascinating to me, so when it came time to, like, let's say in the early 2000s when, when recording technology was in the process of being heavily democratized, I mean, this is like when... M boxes and and like um, you know pretty pretty powerful when looking back pretty powerful uh, recording technology you know people are being able to run Pro Tools on laptops and 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 stuff like that pretty pretty big stuff is happening in terms of people being able to record themselves and during that period of time I just naturally became demo guy you know like the bands that I was playing in they they transitioned from punk bands to straight edge hardcore bands to instrumental metal bands to emo indie rock or actually the emo band was happening the whole i started playing in an emo band that transitioned into being an indie rock band uh for 14 years so that started in when i was in high school and then just play played in that band uh all the way into like my late 20s mm-hmm. um and so uh and so, yeah, there there was just this kind of you know gentle transition from like I guess uh, uh, angrier and more obscure music to it's getting sort of more mainstream as it as it as it goes along. Um, I'm, I'm getting into like I'm falling in love with Radiohead and Jeff Buckley by like my senior year of <laughs> of high school and um, and so anyway, yeah, I, that 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 all just sort of naturally. Um, the the Radiohead obsession gets me even further down. Now I'm getting into like pedals, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. like pedals, any any guitar player who is putting a pedal board together and having fun with those sounds and really taking their time with it and paying attention to it, that's that just taught you signal flow. You just learned how to use a patch bay, as far as I'm concerned. Right. Definitely. Like like guitar players have such a leg up when they go to start producing because when you're chaining plugins together, you know, in in a DAW, um, that's exactly that you're, you're using the same parts of your brain that you would be using if you're deciding to put your boost before your overdrive or after and 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 where your modulation fits in. And if you're going to use an effects loop or if you're going to be a, a snobby point to point dweeb like myself or whatever, <laughs> uh, then, then, you know, um, it's just a serious. Uh, it's a serious leg up in in understanding um, how like uh, pro audio gear all sort of fits together. So anyway, I I, I transitioned very very gradually. I was play, the drummer of this band that I was in in forever, which was called Crosstide. Uh, he he got a Roland VS 1680 at a certain point. There's this like big hulking uh, all in one thing with a bunch of faders and a hard drive and a mm-hmm. very rudimentary screen in it, and so. We were off to the, I was off to the races, at least. Like, I kind of, uh, I kind of hoarded that thing a little bit and just, like, learned the ins and outs and and was making these really good sounding demos for the band. And that just sort of varied, all naturally very, you know, transitioned into, then eventually that band breaks up 
and I'm working in retail and I'm sort of like, I'm pretty sure I want to record people for a living. That, that's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I just skipped over a lot of stuff, but that's, uh, that's, ba <laughs> that's, that's basically, it's just, just being like a lifelong knob twiddler that, that takes me from like not recording to, oh my God, I love the recording studio. That's all I want to do. I, I similarly love the recording studio. And I think that is because I, I mean, I'm obviously obsessed with pedals. So I feel like that sort of, like you said, feeds into its, each other in some weird way. And I, I, I never wanted to go on tour. I don't really have a lot of interest in playing live, which I know sounds weird to a lot of people because that's some people's like drug, you know, is playing live. I love watching live music. That's one of my favorite things ever. But I never never really wanted to, to be the person on stage in that capacity. Uh, but I love being in the studio. I've always loved being in the studio. It's great. And just the just the open, wide possibilities that come with that, you know? Um, that's just always been really appealing to me. Because I've said this on the podcast before, but when I heard uh, my favorite band... I'm obsessed thrice when they recorded Alchemy Index themselves um, and they did a track where they they literally buried a microphone in a box and they while they were singing outside of it, you know, and I was like, oh, you can do whatever you want, whatever you want. Yeah, <laughs> like this is awesome. This you can there are no rules to this. If it sounds like you want it to sound at the end of the day. If you record it in a shoebox or if you record it in the finest, you know, acoustically tuned room in the world, as long as you got the result you're looking for, that's that's it. And that's I think that's what appeals to me so much about it. Yeah, like S Sylvia Massey has a new, you know, she has she 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 has committed to a way of recording that means that she's never made the same record twice. Mm hmm. You know what I mean? Are you are you familiar with with I'm Sylvia? Not. No, she's the gal. Look up on YouTube, uh, uh, like r r running a guitar through a pickle. Okay. <laughs> she she she's this incredible producer. You know her work. She she did Undertow for Tool. Um, oh, okay. I would I would I would have to look her up on All Music, but she she is she is a prodigious rock producer. Um, that just she's done records with the Melvins. Um. She's like, uh, she, uh, she, she, she calls it adventure recording, uh, and she's written a whole book about it, but, um, oh, this she, sounds she, familiar she, she now. just does okay. fun experiments in uh, with audio on like every project, like stick a microphone in a Snapple bottle under the, under the drummer snare drum or, 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 or literally, you know, amplify a guitar signal into a pickle or a fluorescent light bulb. Oh my God, there's a video on YouTube where she uses a fluorescent light bulb as a fuzz pedal, basically. <laughs> I love it's, it. It's absolutely, it's the coolest set. It's like this really Velcro-y, zippery, like great spluttery fuzz sound. Um, anyway, like it's just this jaw-droppingly cool attitude towards recording that says like, why would you do this the same time? Like you're in you're in the studio with new artists every time. And if you're in the studio with the same artists two years later, those are new artists, by the way. Like we we if if you're really doing this the right way, you remake yourself, uh, uh, you know, r relatively often as a as a musician and a music listener and a, a musical human. So so anyway, um, just a really, really cool attitude towards towards making records that that makes it. Fun and new every single time. I love it. I love it. I'm all about that. That's a, it's a, it's like having, like, to me, and I know this isn't this isn't entirely true, but like it feels to me like almost even more lim limitless than say painting in a way. It's like sure you got like the full spectrum of color to choose from, and you can make anything you want on that canvas, but it's still what it is at the end of the day. Like you can't can't necessarily like run the canvas through a pickle, you know, so to speak. Right. But and it's still relatively two dimensional. Yeah, it it does. It does feel like recording, especially right now, is just like completely limitless. Yeah. And the the quality that you can get with. I mean, basically just a laptop, you know, essentially is is like kind of mind boggling. I, oh, I, my God. I, I am really starting to come around on the uh, 
the more digital aspects of of recording. I mean, I've always used lots of digital pedals, so that's not that new, but I've always been Captain Tube Amp Man, and I still mm-hmm. am to a, to a degree, but I I just posted on Instagram uh, a little a little bit before we started recording a clip where I'm running the uh Electronic Audio Experiments mo- Model FET, which is like a supposed to emulate a uh, Sun Model T amplifier. Okay. Direct into my interface into a, a Randall cab IR I found for free on the internet. I'm like, I can't believe how good this sounds. This is ridiculous. <laughs> dude, for for me, dude, f- first of all, same. I I, I am, th- this podcast is coming at the perfect time because if, if you want to talk about guitars, it's coming at the perfect time because I, Absolutely. I to- totally checked, when I first moved to LA in 2016, it, I was shocked at the, so I, I first, I, I landed and, in 20 in like January 2016 and immediately started doing hip hop sessions. Mm-hmm. And I was shocked that because it, it's not just like like hip hop, pop and EDM records all sort of use the same workflow these days. OK. Um, and uh, that doesn't involve any microphones. Like the only <laughs> so time we ever would use a microphone was to cut the vocal. And like literally everything else was either coming out of a digital can or it was a DI or, you know, it was a, a MIDI controller, you know, act, you know, th- going through Omnisphere or Arturia or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I was just shocked at how I mean, I went my first year and a half in L.A. without without miking anything but a vocal up. You know, at least on the on the in the pro, on the projects that I was engineering for other producers, the, yeah. pr, the stuff that I was producing, of course, was still like, you know, kind of indie rock singer songwriter kind of music. So that um, we were still using mics on that. But uh, it kind of, you know, I was very seduced by the the speed and the immediacy of it like these guitar player, these session guitar players were coming in with just a great a, a great guitar. And like maybe if they had one cool pedal that did like that did like a lot of cool like a GFI Infinite Jets or a Timeline or mm-hmm. you know something that can really that can really do a lot of cool mangling to the sound of a guitar. But dudes just showing up like my friend Wes Singerman, absolutely brilliant session guitar. He's a producer. He is now a producer. I met him basically just as a session musician, and oh my god, he you know he would he would crush just showing up to a and then you know he would just have me pull up. A waves plug-in that he knew all of his favorite presets and he'd direct me to okay do this thing it's like really wide and chorusy and has some reverb and and i was just like oh my god like you just plugged in your guitar 45 seconds ago and we're tracking like this is pretty right. cool <laughs> you know what i mean like the the yep. just the sheer power it's like the first time i saw somebody produce from an mpc and i was just like that's not fair that's the fastest that's the most powerful instrument i've ever seen anybody use in front of me i that, that's like that shouldn't be allowed it's cheating practically to be making music with an mpc it's 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 uh you know, I just started to understand like, okay, okay, there's a lot of ways to skin this cat. And I also immediately was hearing production techniques that I knew that the artists like Portishead uh, and the No Twist and stuff like that were immediately I'm like, oh, like I'm there's a lot of music that I love that was put together this exact same way. I just didn't I didn't know it because I didn't know anything about sampling Mm -hmm. uh, when I was listening to those records. So that's a long way of saying that, um, you know, the the idea of like amp simulators and stuff, it started to appeal to me, like in the box mixing, you know, it started to appeal to me for no other reason than like sheer convenience and speed, basically. And then just recently I found the Fuse, the Fuse Audio F59, which is uh, Fuse Audio, I think he, I think he's German, but it's a it's a software developer who writes plugins for Brainworks and UAD and Plugin Alliance and a oh, lot okay. of really big, uh, like we, we a lot of us are already using his stuff without knowing it. Fuse is his own private, you know, personal company. And uh, there's some of my favorite plugins out there. I recommend everybody check them out. They're incredibly affordable. And he makes a model of a 59 baseman called the F59. And it takes pedals like a real, like I can put a pedal in front of my DI and it like takes pedals in a way that reminds me of my fan. I mean, I played a 68 Super Reverb for a lot of my time in in the, the band that I play. I still have it. I haven't, I haven't even run audio through it in five years, but I still have it. Uh, and, and, um, 
Did I just call it guitar audio? Man, weird stuff is happening to my brain. And <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, I, I, same 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 thing here where I just found an amp simulator where if I turn my I can turn my speakers up super loud in the studio, and I like you just could not convince me that there isn't a real amp on the other side of some glass. Like it just I can feel the amp in my right hand. Do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And can you tell me about you kind of breezed over uh, what's the thing that you're using that's a, it's it's a it's an amp simulator that is modeling a Sun Model T? Yeah, I got it right here actually. And this is not like Earthquake or Acapulco Gold, right? This is like a different. Yeah, this is a different one. The, the Acapulco Gold is great, but it's I almost consider it more of a fuzz pedal in the way it right, works. Right, right. You know? Yeah. This is actually this is the electronic audio experiments. I know the listeners can't see this, but. I'll explain. It's the Electronic Audio Experiments Model FET. And I had, um, I think the, I think it was like the third or second prototype for a while that I bought from John uh, from EAE. He's a great dude. Been on the podcast a few times. Um, he, he's just really a brilliant guy. But yeah, it basically, you, you take the preamp section, I believe, hopefully I'm not speaking out of turn here, uh, of the Sun Model T and replace it with with FETs, and basically that's what this is. So it sounds a, like really close to a Model T, but you still need that like reactive load or a speaker to make it, you know, to make it really have that experience. And so I found this great free uh, <laughs> Randall cab sim uh, IR, loaded it in my IR loader, plugged it in. I was like, huh, that sounds really good. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's no tubes involved. Um, but I've also been using a lot of the STL tones um, from their Tone Hub series. I'm a big fan of uh, Will Putney and like all of his production that he's done, which is like a lot of heavy music. And mm -hmm. he's got an amp pack on there that is just bonkers. Like it just anytime you see me doing something like super saturated on Instagram, it's probably that's I'm, it. I'm probably using that. Yeah. I'll I'll no run pedals into it. Way, man. Yeah, but honestly, I think the real thing beyond the this technology just getting so good, getting some good monitors really changed the game. Because doing it in headphones, oh it can sound great for the recording and it'll work, but your playing experience is never going to be the same in headphones. So by having some some good monitors and a sub that I can crank up and just like really feel it, I'm like, oh okay, this feels a lot more like playing guitar. <laughs> I was having a conversation several years ago, but I was having a conversation with another guitar player turned producer, and we were talking specifically about the the there's a feeling when you have a massively loud. I used to play a uh, when I was playing metal. I play I had a 5150, mm -hmm. um, and so you know had this half stack behind me, and then that eventually turned into a Mesa. F50 combo and then into the super reverb and then eventually into a blues junior. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, actually, no, I, I, I would just always like those, all those other amps that I mentioned, I always run them way too loud. And the blues junior was the only one that I could like absolutely crank. And the, and the vocalist didn't, didn't want to murder me anymore. Um, but, uh, I got off topic. What was, what was I, what was I just, uh, uh monitors, plugins, uh, uh you're talking oh, to but, another, we, but we were talking about specifically. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The feeling of the air, yes. Because like it's a speaker pushing air. Like that's what you're. If you're, if you, if you have fallen in love with the feeling of playing a loud guitar amp, being in the same room with a loud guitar amp, you're. It, it, this, this is you know, air has to move to yes. for for that to for that to be happening. And there's something about you're playing with your band and you have this wave of air that's hitting the back of your legs if you're standing in front of the amp. And oh my god, I miss that feeling an awful lot. <laughs> that's a very very good feeling. And you can feel the music you know rattling around in your chest cavity. That's really really good stuff. I haven't done that in a long time. Well, it's literally vibrating your bones. Like, yeah. <laughs> Like the way that you're hearing it and experiencing it in those moments, it's like literally your whole skeleton is receiving this input, you know, and your ears are picking that up. It's all part of the experience is that that air moving. I yeah, I I can get some great sounds direct in like we were talking about, but my playing has never felt right doing it. Even if I listen back to the track, I'm like, that sounds awesome. 
but I can hear like there's a weird stiffness to the playing and it doesn't quite fall in the groove the way I want it if there's not air moving around me. Um, yeah. So I, I got to crank the monitors if I'm going to be going direct. It's the only way I'll be yeah. satisfied. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so what are, what have you been working on lately then? What, what are some of the projects that you've been involved with that maybe people know about or should know about? Um, okay, so when I first started, the, the, the sort of ones that rise to the top of the, or the ones that most people know um, uh, would be, uh, there's a rapper named Drom. He had a song called Broccoli in, in 2016 or 2017. And it, uh, it was an incredibly popular song. I think it was like the second song that we worked on together. Whoa. And that was in my second month in Los Angeles. So just this like crazy, like literally, I, the, I, 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 I worked for him the the first time we worked together. It was a weekend, and Broccoli was the tune we worked on on Sunday. And I think it I think it ended up going eight times platinum or something oh, like that. Wow. It was on the top forty forever. And uh, and I was just like, holy! I made the right move moving down here. <laughs> like it, it was an immediate uh, validation of uh, this like crazy crapshoot gamble that I took moving down here without really many prospects. Uh, but, uh, so drum, drum was the, the, the first artist that I sort of, um, like we did, we did a bunch of sessions together because I was kind of the, the, uh, the engineer attached to a studio that, that he really liked. And then eventually his management sort of said like, this is working well, can we just take you with us wherever we go? And so I was his engineer for the fir my first like two years or something like that in, in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Um, and that whole time that we were working, um, the guy who owned that studio that Drum really liked, uh, his name's Yeti. <clears throat> Yeti, he produces under the name Yeti Beats. And um, we, uh, yeah, I basically, I met him because I had been booked to engineer a session at his studio with Drum. And, uh, and, and, you know, he was... He, he wanted to meet me because he had it was a, a private studio and we just got along immediately he grew up playing in punk bands he was like I think I think until Paramore joined the warp tour yeti was previously uh in the youngest the youngest band that that had that had ever that had ever played the warp tour like prior wow. to Paramore uh you know breaking that record um so anyway we grew up playing a lot of the same music he's he's from Santa Barbara just like a, a, a you know surfer dude from from Santa Barbara and just like a wonderful wonderful human and we got along immediately and he's he's the yeti is the guy who discovered and has been developing Doja Cat for the last seven years or so okay so pretty much immediately after we met and he heard from drums management that I was isn't a bad engineer. Uh, he was like, "Hey, so I have, I have. The, when you're not working with Drum, I have my own project. Her name's Doja Cat, and and it would be great if you could come over and engineer uh, for me." So I started working for her. Like, you know, if I started working for Drum in February of 2016, I was already doing sessions with Doja by like April or May, probably. Okay. Um, and so, obviously, she has gone from somebody that nobody knows about to somebody that everybody knows about. Um, and that has been a crazy thing to to witness. And th so th those are all things that I've done uh, as an audio engineer. And then more, more recently, I've been producing uh, for... Um, a couple of bedroom pop artists, a handful of, of bedroom pop artists that I'm just like wild about. This uh, Canadian gal named Aviv, and then a guy who's here in Los Angeles named Ryan Woods, who's just absolutely incredible. Um, I, I recommend you guys check out. We did a song together called Bad Texture that's really great. Um, and uh, Aviv, actually, this uh, she's 15 years old and is Whoa. like, actually, she, dude, she's 15 years old. She lives in Toronto. She's one of the best songwriters that I know. And um, she just her she just got invited. Uh, she, she and my friend Liam Kevney, who's a great guitar player. He's the touring guitar player for Albert Hammond Jr.'s uh, band. I just put Albert Hammond Jr. It's a little bit mm -hmm. of a mouthful actually uh he's the touring guitar player for albert hammond jr's band and a great producer really really stellar musician and the the uh he and aviv and i uh worked on this track together um called you feel like depression and it has these really big guitars on it and somehow that made its way to the band imagine dragons 
And so okay. now this 15-year-old girl who's never played a show before is going to be playing her first show ever in an arena opening for Imagine Dragons. I'm so excited I could just die. Um, but uh, but anyway, I'm really, really excited about that project. I think anybody listening should check out Aviv, which is spelled A-V-I-V. Cool. That's, that is crazy. Like, I can't even... I don't even want to play at, like, the local, like, like blues bar. Like, let alone, like, try to be on a stadium. Right? <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, that's a lot of pressure. Uh, that's that's crazy, though. That's There's so that's, much pressure. How do you... So, this is a question that I think a lot of people want to know. How do people like that? I'm sure there's all kinds of different ways, but, I mean, like, with Doja or with Aviv, like, how do you find those people? Do they just show up one day in the studio and it's like, hey, look, I'm awesome? Or is it just like, you know, a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend? Or how did how did this work? How did this happen? I mean, more often it's a dude, this it's a it's it's a relationship industry mm -hmm. where it, it's a relationship industry whose most valuable commodity is trust. And so if you're if you're a trustworthy person who's easy to work with and you're just meeting people all the time, um, some of them are heads, some of them are talented people who don't have any fire in their belly and it doesn't go anywhere. And some of them have like all of the boxes checked. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. like you're just meeting you're meeting and working with so many people. And then and then there are these ones that just go bing and like really stand out of the crowd. You know what I mean? Um, and, and so whenever those show up, you know, you just sort of do, you, you clear your schedule as much as you can, or, or just clear your, your, your mind and your creatives and just, and try to give, try to give that project or that artist that just is, 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 um, sort of burning with so much potential. Uh, you just find, uh, find out how much energy and time you can, you can give to them. And then it, it ends up it, turning into something, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that, that meeting people is still to this day underrated. I actually made a video about this podcast because a lot of people and some podcasters that have shows of similar size even um, still do something else full time. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, that's perfectly fine. But I've had a lot of questions of like, how are you able to make this work? And I'm like, really, it's because enough people care about it to like support the show. You know, and there's some sponsors that are also support the show. But ultimately, the most important thing is actually meeting new people by doing the, the podcast. Like, that's been the most important thing is actually just meeting new people through, like, through the interviews. You know, my uh, I met my business partner, Scott, he, who runs Stringjoy through the podcast. He literally messaged me, hey, I want to come on your podcast. And I was like, cool. And we hit it off immediately. And you know, a year later we were in business together. And that's been like one of the most important levers that I've pulled with being able to do this full time. And there's one that I can't talk about yet that is also going to be extremely important here in the next few months that everybody will see. It's just like podcasting is like, uh, it's almost, it's not as easy as living in a hub like New York, Nashville, or LA, but it is almost like, a weird a weird version of that because I'm just like I want to talk to that person that I have no business talking to oh wait I do have business talking to them because I want them on my show so all of a sudden I have a reason to send somebody an email or you know be emailed about somebody you know in, in and then the case. thing the thing that you're going to do with them for your show is have a long in-depth conversation <laughs> which is a relationship building exercise you know yes. what I mean so so yeah I mean it strikes me that 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 anybody in like um this this is this is intrinsically a relationship building uh profession which is of course going to do do very well for you you know yeah. like uh, 100% and you know sometimes sometimes we leave the episode and it's like that was a great interview and we never talk again and that's 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 also that happens more often than not but sometimes you hang up the phone call and you're like did we just become best friends like, yep. <laughs> like, you know, that happens sometimes. And it's it's the underrated superpower of doing a podcast. Everybody kind of wants that. Like they see the obvious stuff and they see, you know, the big podcasts of the world with their big sponsorships and things. And it's like 
that happens. It can happen, especially if you really work at it. But really, it's about the people you meet progressively as you do it. And, uh, you know, I think people now that it's a little more feasible to do so, you don't have to have a podcast to do that. But you should if you're trying to make it in the music or any creative field, I think people need to put themselves out there and try to go go meet people to the degree that it's possible. And I know some people are introverts and that's uncomfortable, but the reality is you never know who you're going to talk to who could totally change the game for you. You know, it's, it's very important. I'm glad you, I'm glad you said that. It can be so, it can be so random, you know, who who it ends up being and how it ends up working. Oh my God. Okay. So check this out. So, so I, uh, the, the thing, the thing that got me, thinking about moving to Los Angeles was this one, this one fateful phone call that I got from, there, there's an artist named Brad Mackison. He, he now just goes by Mackison, um, who, uh, I started playing, I started out playing pedal steel in his band when he was the more sort of like country tinged, uh, rock and roll, like, uh, Tom Petty kind of sounding uh, artist. Mm-hmm. I think he was he was super young. He was like 19 when I started first started playing for him. And then um playing in his band sort of naturally transitioned into the being into being the person that then recorded uh recorded him and produced for him. So eventually we found ourselves in the studio. Then, you know, a couple recording projects later, we made a record in my basement in Portland in like 30 days top to bottom basically that uh that got him signed to Capitol Records there was like a like a an actual minor bidding war between a few major labels for this for this it was it was it was a it was a really crazy eye-opening experience where it was like oh my god this can happen what um and so he called me i was i was on the road i was touring uh playing being kind of utility guy for this uh for this band on warner brothers and i was in salt lake city and i got a call from from this guy brad mackison and he was like dude I think uh, so. There's a bunch of labels that have offered me a deal for that record that we made together. I think I'm going to end up signing with Capitol, and like I've been spending the last six months or so in Los Angeles, uh, you know, while all this has been going down. And like, you really owe it to yourself to come check this place out. I know you have it in your head. I mean, God, Port- Portlanders, Portlanders have such like a weird thing with like we just we hate Los Angeles for some reason. I, I know. I at do. Least for me, I do, and I don't know why. I don't really know. <laughs> man, I, at least for me, it, like Los Angeles was where all my old bands used to have to drive. Like when we wanted to try to, you know, get record deals or move up in the industry in some way, we would always have to like drive ourselves down to Los Angeles and play for a bunch of people who ended up telling us that they didn't like us very much. So I don't know. It just always left a bad taste in my mouth. You know, industry people who seemed out of touch and yada, yada, yada. Um, so anyway, he was like, dude, the city's actually pretty great and you should come check it out. And another thing he said was, I think, I think it's actually a more difficult slog to try to make music for a living from Portland, Oregon, than it will be in LA. And I was like, huh, that's, I hadn't thought of it that way, but that's interesting. And the other thing that he said was like, you know, really what he was observing was that like the you know, he, he, we had had, we had had a lot of, I'd been playing music with this guy for like five years by this point. So we'd had a lot of conversations about what we wanted to do and where we both thought that our ships were headed. And he was like, you know, the kind of records that you want to work on, the, the people who are making those decisions, they're all, they're all here for the most part. So like moving here would like, you could potentially be, you know, part of that pool that's being selected from when like, you know, great artists are making great records. Um, so anyway, I came down to Los Angeles with literally, I, I, I had Brad as a contact, this, this artist, um, who had just signed to Capitol. And then there was this other guy, this really cool dude named Josh Dean, who is now working for Interscope Records. But at the time he was the one person at Atlantic who really believed in this guy Brad and and wa- wanted wanted to wanted to find Brad a home at, at Atlantic Records but just couldn't find any support in the rest of the A&R department and and they they couldn't really put a very good deal for for him together and all this kind of stuff but anyway 
I, I had met this guy, Josh, and we had stayed in touch. And it was Josh that called me on a Friday night at like 10 p.m. in February of 2016 and was like, sorry, uh, dude, I know it's late, but uh, I had an engineer lined up for this new signing, this this new hip hop signing to Atlantic named Drum. And uh, and the engineer just called out with food poisoning and I need somebody for the next two days. Can you, is there any way? <laughs> and I was like, dude, I just moved to Los Angeles and I need work so bad. You can call me at five o'clock in the morning if you need to. Like, yes, I'll do it. I'll be there mm-hmm. an hour early. Thank you. And uh, and then, like I explained earlier, that turned into a two-year-long engagement with him that we involved like Grammy nominations and 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 platinum. And you know, it's you know, it, it was just a an absolutely crazy thing that was all based on relationships and and the maintenance of those relationships and somebody somebody out there who just happened to believe in me and associate and was just like you know Brad vouched for you and said you're a good engineer could you engineer for this thing and then it you know turns into 2 years of of work for a major label and but it's all it's all down to it is all down to relationships and and it's all down to uh that commodity of trust where like there's phone calls happening you know that 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 you're not always privy to where people are saying like, should I hire this guy? And somebody else is going like, well, I don't know. Um, and so it just <laughs> having, having, having some of that trust out there in the world where, where the people that, that, that are going to be sniffing around about you are encountering like good stories and positive, uh, you know, positive reviews and yeah. It's a, it's a really, you know, it, it, I think some people, they hear the term networking and they're like, ew, that's gross. So it's all about who, you know, and it's like, well, the thing is like, I didn't know anybody at one point, you know, you didn't know anybody at one point. Right. So how do you like, like, I mean, yeah, you, you don't, you may not know anybody, but you just got to figure out how to get to know people. And in this day and age, it's kind of easier than it's ever been. It's like, you know, I I've told this story a million times, but like one of the big eye opening moments for me with the podcast was I called up. Keely Electronics was like, hey, can I talk to Robert Keely? I want him on my podcast. This is in 2016 or something. And they're like, yeah, just a second. Hey, this is Rob. Like, whoa, that was easy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, and I was like, yeah, I I got this show where I talk to guitar people about guitar stuff and uh, I'd love to talk to you. He's like, cool. What are you doing tonight? Like recording a podcast with you apparently, you know, like, and that was like a (laughs) moment, a moment for me. And he's the coolest guy. Love that dude. But, uh, it was, it was, that, that was a moment for me where I was like, wow, you really can just shoot your shot, you know, to some degree, like be polite, do it. Don't be a creep about it, but like, you really can just hit people up and, and a lot of times they won't respond and that's okay. That doesn't necessarily mean no, that just means no, not right now. But like, Somebody will respond at some point, you know, if you really have something to bring to the table and are are doing something worthwhile, somebody will respond, you know. <laughs> like yeah. It, it's a uh, it's amazing People what the are internet's way more done. accessible. People are way more accessible. I I've actually heard um a, the, this producer that I that I really idolize named Dave Fridman, uh he he said at the end of a tape op interview, I'm pretty sure, uh he just said like man just not not only for me but for other producers like me just just reach out you know you can you can do a google search and find my manager's email address and like just reach out tell us what kind of music you're making what your budget is and like you'd be really surprised i uh, i'm i'm more accessible than 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 you than you might think and i i just i have actually found that to be true of lots of people in lots of corners of the music industry where like if you just if you just reach out with a good vibe, there's a real good chance that somebody'll get back to you, you know? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Especially like I said, if you you're bringing something to the table, you know, it's on the flip side of the coin, you know, uh, especially on the string side of stuff, we get a lot of people that are like, "Hey, I used to play for, you know, <laughs> I don't know, insert artist here back in 1987 and uh, my string company dropped me can will you sponsor me and it's kind of like well this is a two-way street like you know like right you know this has got to go both ways i don't I, I i can respect your work and really admire your tenacity and appreciate what you've done in the music industry for years but at the end of the day like you know we gotta we gotta 
we got mouths to feed here. So like this has right, to get, right, right. This has to go I both ways. I appreciate that you toured with Buck Cherry in 2012, but uh, but uh, <laughs> what, what what you got for me? Yeah, what you doing these days? What you, what are you up to? And I mean, you would be maybe you wouldn't be surprised, but there's I I had a guy get really irate with me, um, because I you know he asked for a sponsorship and I was like, well, let's look at what you got, and I'm like. <sighs> Bro, you literally got like 18 YouTube subscribers. I can't like like come, you know, I don't want I don't want to like, be a how's jerk. How's that going to work? Yeah, I don't want to be a jerk, but you know, keep at it and maybe we can talk later and he was like so mad at me. I was like I don't know what to tell you, man. I'm like I said, we got mouths to feed around here. If we gave you know some one of my friends that runs a pedal company what what he responds to when when he gets requests for artist pricing, he's like, all of our customers are artists. So the artist pricing is on the website. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's really great. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I'm like, you know, that's actually true, though. Like, yeah. it doesn't matter if you're playing in the bedroom by yourself or if you're playing on a stage in front of millions of people. You are an artist. It may seem weird to feel weird to call yourself that in whatever capacity that is. But you are. You're making art, therefore, you're an artist. There, therefore, you can find artist pricing on Sweetwater, bud. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Oh, man, look at the time. That just flew by, and I still got I know. Some... I was just noticing. I was looking at Pro Tools, uh, how long the the file was. I was like, oh, my God, look at that. Yeah, we're, we're just going. Uh, well, this has been awesome. Uh, and I do have, of course, the classic questions to get into. But before I do that, this is your chance to take the floor. You can, you know, thank your aunt. You can uh, plug anything you want to plug. You can shout out anybody you want to shout out. Like, this is your moment to shine. Oh, I just want to thank uh, my manager, James, for, for uh, he, he, he was instrumental in, uh, in getting this whole thing coordinated and uh, has been such a, a cheerleader for me. And, and yeah, I, I love that dude. Oh, uh, yes. Thanks, James. He hit me up. Uh, Multiple times, as I found out after the first time I noticed, I was like, oh, I I got to respond to this guy. Like, Sorry, James. Sorry for the delay on that. I get a lot of messages. <laughs> I do apologize. But I'm glad we were able to do this because this is a lot of fun. Um, so let's He's the get into the best. Yeah. All right. So classic questions. Here we go. First one. What is your favorite boss pedal? Oh, God, you son of a bitch. What is my favorite boss pedal? I have all my pedals next to me. Um, DS1. Ah, nice pull. I love the DS1. That's a really great pedal. The DS1's underrated. I love the DS1. I have a, uh, I have a black one that confuses everybody. It was a, it was like a Guitar Center limited edition where they inverted the colors, so it's not. Oh, it's I've not, seen those. They look yeah. super Halloweeny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I saw. Well, that's literally why I bought it. I was at Guitar Center and I was like, "That looks awesome," and it's thirty dollars. That that's mine now. That shall <laughs> like, be mine. <laughs> yes, I shall come home with it. And turns out that's actually more limited than the uh, than the. I think they called it the thirtieth anniversary, which was like black with yellow. So I don't hmm. know. I haven't seen those. It doesn't really matter. It's a DS1 at the end of the day. It sounds like a DS1, but it's black. Right, yeah. <laughs> I, I have one sitting next to me that I modded with the, um, oh, I forget. It was one of the early the early guys on the internet who put together like kits, you know, mm -hmm. for you to mod your own pedals. So it's some, you know, it lets more bass through the circuit and it has germanium diodes um, and, and it just has a super Siamese dreamy uh, sound when the gain's all the way up. I love this thing. Oh, man. I want to hear that. That sounds like a lot of fun. It's rad. <laughs> nice. All right. And if you thought that question was mean, you know, here's the final question. This is the one that gets people real... You know, it gets get, gets people really riled up. So here we oh, go. Oh, but you've got a controversial question. I do. What is your favorite kind of pizza? <sighs> this is um, this is a snobby answer, and 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 maybe uh, 
maybe Tucker Carlson's going to come for me as an elite. Um, but I did, I did a study abroad in I I did a study abroad in Italy, and I have to say margarita to that to that Ooh. question. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I got to have really good pizza margarita whenever I wanted it when I was there. And uh, I miss that. It's still my favorite. When you get that right, and the tomatoes are just the right amount of sweet, and the and the and good cheese and fresh basil, that's like mm. that's a great thing. I have never been to Italy, but when I do, one of these days, I'm gonna get so fat, dude. Like I, people aren't ready for how good the food is in that country, and like I'm ready. the worst the worst meal you can find under the worst like the worst train station sandwich that you can find in Italy is still like pretty goddamn good. <laughs> uh, I'm ready. I'm a foodie. I I I go crazy over the food, and so yeah, I think my palate is is primed for the Italian experience. But hey, I mean, you would get yourself over there. Ugh. Yeah, you were a Portlander though, you know, like we got some good stuff. So if you're telling me Italy's the best, I believe you. I do believe you. Oh man, and I'm not I I don't know that I would even say the best. Uh, I I only spent 3 days in Singapore, but I think that's the best eating that I've ever done in my entire life. Singapore. But um but but man, yeah, Portland, I I was um I was nervous to move away from Portland for a food reason, and I could not have landed in a better city than Los Angeles for that very thing. The food, yeah. the dude, the food here. Are you coming down for Nam? I I don't think I am, unfortunately. I got a oh, you son of a. I know I got a thing at uh, at Sweetwater later in the month, and I'm like, I'm not trying to travel twice in in one month, like so. You got a thing at Sweetwater? Is that is that down here or is that in the Midwest? That is in Indiana. In Indiana, that's what I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, when you when when you do eventually find yourself in Los Angeles, uh, I will. Then like, yeah. dude, hit me up. We'll go to Boyle Heights, Monterey Park. I'll blow your mind. Uh, I'm ready. I actually have been in Boyle Heights, and I've had some really, really amazing Mexican food in Boyle Heights. Uh, I still think about. It. I still have dreams about it sometimes. I, whew. Yeah, yeah, that's the kind. Of, like I have, I have meals down here that make me very emotional. I have like, I have ratatouille moments where I flash back to a childhood, and I'm eating something that I never had as a kid. Anyway, there's like, <laughs> there's just some foods that are universally comforting, and I'm like slowly cataloging all of them, and so we'll get. We'll get all sorts of good stuff. So this is a, a little yeah, bit I'm, of a... I do. I'm, I'm, I'm a hella foodie as well. There's a little bit of a... Tan- oh, this this Patreon episode is going to be awesome then. Uh, there's a little bit of a tangent, but uh, I'm pretty pretty good friends with Gina, who is over at Maris. And she has... Oh, cool. You know, yeah, she's been to Korea and, you know, she's, she's well-versed and um, she... Uh, I was I put up a stupid Instagram story where my family makes me eat my kimchi outside because it smells weird, and so I have to go outside and eat it. Aw, uh, yeah, I know, it, uh, but I'm like, ah, if worth it. I mean, totally, totally but, worth it. But aw, yeah, yeah. So I'm just out there. I'm like, I'm eating out here, like the out of the cauldron of shame, just eating my my kimchi. And Gina thought that was hilarious, and she's like, you know what? Um, L.A. actually has better Korean food than Korea. I was like, what? Jesus, what? Yeah. yeah, I was like, are you serious? She's like, yeah, has better Korean food than Korea. It's like, well, it sounds like I got to spend some more time in L.A. then because I love Korean food. Oh, so. I mean, Korea, Koreatown is, I can't believe I left that off my little short list just now when I was rattling stuff. It, it is... Um, it is a goddamn wonderland, and it is another. It's a pl- it's a place. It's a little neighborhood where you can experience that thing I just said about Italy, where the worst meal that you can find is like I have not had a bad meal. I have not had a, like a lazy, uh, th- sloppy, thrown together with with less than great ingredients meal ever in Korea. Like that just doesn't happen in that. Na- like the food is mm. good. And there's actually a dish. Uh, the, so it's the largest Korean diaspora in the world. It's the, the, the largest Korean population outside of Korea is Koreatown in Los Angeles. And there's a dish called cheese corn, which is like, uh, it's, it's like cheat cheat like this really fondant goopy cheese and corn like shuffled together on a flat top griddle so that it gets like a little bit charred on the the bottom and like Mm -hmm. it's unbelievably good but it got popular in koreatown and then made its way back to korea oh crazy 
the Korean diaspora in 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 the states came up with it, and it was so tasty and like so, it kind of felt so Korean to the to like a little bit exotic and a little bit very Korean to the people that were eating it that it actually got popular back home, which I think is so cool. I love. I hope that. I'm getting that story right. If if please please uh, as they say, correct me in the comments. <laughs> oh, don't worry, somebody will. I'm sure, even if they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I would. I would. If if I'm getting any of this wrong, I would rather know the the true story. Absolutely. Well, hey, man, this was a blast. Thank you so much for coming on. And uh, we'll we'll slide over to Patreon and probably talk about food and, and aliens and stuff. It'll be fun. <laughs> that sounds great. This has been a ton of fun. Thanks. Thanks for having me on, man. A absolutely. All right, everybody. For Ryan, this is Blake. And as always, folks, good luck and good tones. All right, folks, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I really, really enjoyed talking with Ryan and on this week's Patreon exclusive and the bonus content on Apple, it's all the, the same stuff. We talk about something that I've never actually talked about with anyone before. And this is somebody, I've talked to a lot of vegans and I understand that. I understand where they're at with that. But I've never talked to anyone who was a vegan before. This is a new one for me. And we dive right into how Ryan was a vegan and is now not. And that was a fascinating subject, honestly, because like I said, never spoken with anyone that has had that experience. So if you would like to hear that and a bunch of other stuff, you can go to patreon.com slash tone mob. And for five bucks a month, you can get extra bonus episodes and literally help keep the lights on around here. So thank you. Thank you very much for all those that can do that. And if you can't, no worries. Just keep tuning in. There's going to be a ton of content. I've got some bonus episodes I'm dropping that will be bonuses for everyone on the main feed. I'm really excited to get those out there and just keep making as much as I possibly can for y'all. So thank you very much. Please share this with a friend, rate and review, all that good stuff that all creators are always asking you to do. And uh, yeah, don't forget about the Gear Fest content that will be coming in a few weeks I'm really excited to see how that shakes out and what I'm going to be able to share with you from that because it should be pretty cool. All right. Talk to you next time, folks. Bye-bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company. And I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things. And by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style. Again, the link for that is tonemob.com stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got... Three different guitars that now have Gun Street harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunStreetWiringShop.com and check them out.